everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified, discussions on servant leadership. I have the wonderful privilege of being here in Mexico City and talking to my good friends, Ann and Scott Springer in Hawaii, and being very thankful for the technology that we have today and the wonderful gifts it provides. Ann Springer teaches courses in marketing and communications at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. She started BYU Hawaii's first student-led digital marketing agency, she is the co-advisor for the BYU Management Society, BYU Hawaii Student Chapter, which helps over 100 students from diverse majors and countries to develop ethical leadership skills. Prior to teaching full-time, Anne has worked in business development, marketing, and public relations for two decades in both the private and public sectors. Her experience in education crosses multiple industries, including healthcare, corporate communications, nonprofits, and leaderships. She holds an MBA in healthcare management and leadership. Dr. Scott Springer is an assistant professor of organizational leadership at Brigham Young University of Hawaii in Laie, Hawaii, on the island of Oahu. His current research interests include leadership education and the experiences of first-time managers and leadership communication. Prior to joining the BYU Hawaii faculty, Dr. Springer worked for 15 years as a global director in the academic publishing industry. Well, hello, Anna Scott. How are you doing today? Aloha. Aloha, Keith. Thank you for having us on today. Thank you and aloha. I'm glad you threw an aloha in there. I, uh, I wish I was there in Hawaii with you, but I'm really enjoying Mexico City. Well, we're glad to be here. Hopefully we can offer some value and we're grateful that you have this podcast that talks about servant leadership. What an important topic and something that's very relevant to what we do at BYU Hawaii. Yeah, I agree. And um, with that, I was going to share the BYU Hawaii mission statement because I think it's very relevant to servant leadership. The mission of Brigham Young University of Hawaii is to integrate both spiritual and secular learning and to prepare students with character and integrity who can provide leadership in their families, their communities, their chosen fields, and in building the kingdom of God. They focus on three words to kind of help drive that. This learn, lead, and build. Learn to integrate spiritual and secular learning to provide a foundation of a lifetime of learning. Lead to assist young men and young women in developing character and integrity so they can provide leadership in all aspects of their lives. Build, provide a significant group of faithful and committed church leaders who will assist in building their families, their community, and the kingdom of God, particularly in the Pacific and Asia. Now, these are just wonderful thoughts, and I was wondering how you thought they fit into the world of servant leadership. These are our three fantastic words that involve servant leadership, learn, lead, and build. I think they're fairly well known for all students and alumni of BYU-Hawaii, but I would argue that the, the statement that is on the front of the university when a person drives in, the first thing they see is a large stone sign in the front of the university that says very simply, enter to learn, go forth to serve. That, while not officially the motto of the university, uh, the mission statement of the university, is probably what most people actually associate with BYU-Hawaii. You can actually find that at the other campuses of BYU, other places as well. So to answer your question, Keith, enter to, to learn, go forth to serve. The idea behind BYU-Hawaii in particular is that the students are primarily from the Asia and Pacific regions, or at least a large number of our students are. And we encourage all of our students, regardless of where they come from, whether it be Asia, the Pacific, or anywhere else in the world, to go forth and to serve, to serve their communities, to serve their families, to find ways to serve, to serve others, really, and to serve the kingdom of God, as you mentioned, as you quoted the mission statement. That, I believe, is really servant leadership in action. I just love that. And just to kind of 
be all inclusive and and further define what the kingdom of God refers to from a Brigham Young University standpoint, the kingdom of God would be all the children, all the men and women of the earth, not just of any particular faith. So I think sometimes people might think that that vision was limited to only serving members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but the vision really is meant to serve the whole world and to build up a people that are willing to serve the whole world. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, again, just to quote what you read earlier, you said, learn, lead, and build. Now, looking at the website and under the, the build category, you, you quoted this. The goal is to provide a significant group of faithful and committed church leaders who will assist in building their families, their communities, and the kingdom of God, particularly in the Pacific and Asia. I think it's significant, the order that's listed there. I've always found that to be interesting, that uh, the university says we are creating, we're, we're helping to create students and leaders who will build families, communities, and the kingdom of God. And I think it really shows the importance of families, first and foremost, the community, wherever that is and whatever that means, and also the kingdom of God, as you mentioned. I just love that. And since you are in BYU-Hawaii and you represent a big part of the Pacific and one of those parts being the Polynesian culture, I did a research paper in early in my master's degree in organizational leadership that focused on a Maori school. And one of the things they did is they were having these issues of integrating the Maori with the New Zealanders. And then there was a third group that was having trouble. And so what they did is they built the classroom curriculum starting at the preschool and then into kindergarten where they, they broke the day up into thirds. And a third of the day, they would teach from the Maori perspective. A third of the day, they would teach from the New Zealand perspective. And a third of the day, they would teach from this other minority of the group that I can't remember who it was. It's been a while since I did that research. And, and that sparked this idea within me of the need to build communities, multicultural communities, and how important that is for us as servant leaders. Because as we go forth in the global world that we live in now, it's very hard to join an organization where everyone is the same. They come from the same background, the same cultures. And so it's very important to use these different influences that were provided to build these multicultural communities and not just looking at that word community. I like the way you alluded to that word community. And you said, I think your words were whatever that may be indicating that communities can be our neighborhoods. They could be our school groups. They could be our organization. They could be our faith groups. They can be so many different things that we classify as a community. And then all those different things come with their own cultures. So how do you work with these students from these various backgrounds to both learn from their cultures and to bring together their cultures? I think one thing to note about our campus is that about half of our students come from close to 100 different countries, about somewhere between 75 and 80. And it creates a really unique classroom environment. Frequently, we have students, like on the first day of class, everybody introduces themselves, it says where they're from. And so frequently we have 10 to 15, sometimes even 20 different countries represented in a class of about 30-ish students. And so I think for me, and I can only speak for myself, but in my classroom, try to really create a culture of inclusivity and a really safe space where people feel comfortable to talk and to share. Because I feel like the most valuable things that students learn are from one another. When we talk about different principles and how has that applied 
to you and your life and, and your background and where you're from and, and being careful to not make a student feel like they're representing their entire culture and country, right? <laughs> because some countries, China's huge. So you can't say, well, in China, this happens, you know, you can't have one student carry that weight and it could make someone feel uncomfortable. So there's kind of a line to walk carefully there. But I think that's where students get a really valuable education on our campus is because they're really learning about different cultures and different practices. And they're thinking about things in a totally different way than maybe anything they've ever thought about before, because they're used to what they're used to, right? We all have a comfort zone. I know for me, every single semester, I learned something wonderful and new from one of my students in class. And even though sometimes there are things I've heard before and I go, oh yeah, this is interesting about this culture or that culture. And then somebody else will raise their hand and share something. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I've, I've never heard that before. So I think it's a, a continuous learning process for all of us, but a really unique thing about our campus that creates that learning environment that's really special and unique. Yeah, I really like how you said that you you intentionally work to create a space that allows people to be authentic about themselves and to represent what they view as their culture, not necessarily their country's culture, because that could be diverse in and of itself. And so I love those two points you made to say that you intentionally create a safe space, but then you also help them view their own through their own cultural lens as well as they represent that culture. Trevor Hughes in his episode, he talked about how critical it was for us to be vulnerable. And we discussed a little bit about it's very important for us to grow, to learn to be vulnerable, but we need a safe space to allow us to be vulnerable. If if we feel threatened, we're not going to open ourselves up to growth. And so that safe space is just vital to allow people to learn to be inclusive and also to learn to see the world through someone else's lens. Mm -hmm. And I love that thought. And, And I think it's also helpful to start to think about what is our lens? You know, what are these different cultures that represent us. Um, For this project where I started this podcast, I had to create a a learning ecology. And so I had to sit down and I had to think about all the things in my life that represented how I learned something about servant leadership. And it was fascinating for me to sit there and really think about through this lens of a learning ecology, what were these ecological factors in my life, the people, the places, the cultural influences, the organizations, the different mission sets that I've had, the vocations, the sports teams, all these things, right? That influenced my path on a certain leadership for good, bad, or indifferent. And then last episode with Regan Howley talked about the law of entropy and how with the law of entropy, the world, all things are always naturally moving from an organized state to a disorganized state. That's what the law of entropy teaches us. And so we have to be intentional about how we inject energy into our cultures is how he put it so that we reduce that law of entropy and allow our culture to grow. And in the sense of BYUI, allow this mission statement to flourish, to create this safe space. And so how do you think that we, not just an educational standpoint, how do you think that we can better create these spaces more intentionally that allow people to be open to vulnerability and also to learn to see through other people's lenses? Really good question. I think it's 
really complex in today's world where people are more polarized than ever. And I think even a little bit guarded, right? Because people kind of walk around labeling each other pretty quickly right now and, and even labeling people as safe or unsafe physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, right? So I think the, the tone really starts with the leader and how they treat others and how they're creating that culture within a culture, creating the community and that space and kind of setting some ground rules, I think, and then gently keeping everybody in that space. Sometimes, you know, it's just like a reminder before we we start a topic that might invite some vulnerability to just kind of remind everybody, hey, you know, you're responsible for the energy you bring to this conversation. So if you're having a rough day, just acknowledge that, check it out the door and, and you come to this space prepared to, to be open and, and to make it feel safe for other people. And I think doing that really people appreciate it and they respect that and they embrace it. I think, again, especially in today's world where you don't find that very often, <laughs> um, people really tend to appreciate that and respect it for each other because they want that for themselves. Yeah. I love that thought. And as you were talking in, I remembered an experience when I was at Gonzaga university I took a team building course and then a team building facilitator course. They were back to back. And for the start of this course, the professor whom I love, and I'm going to try to get him on here at some point, but he was awesome. And he did this thing where he had us bring an artifact that represented ourselves. It was mostly, we had online discussion boards leading up to an in-class portion where we all flow to Spokane, Washington, where Gonzaga is located. And we didn't know each other other than this discussion board. And maybe a few of us had had some other classes together in the program. And, you know, you, you don't really know what artifact people are going to bring. Are they going to be real? Are they going to be superficial? How do I really share this artifact? And I had just finished the Boy Scouts of America Wood Badge training. And I had this amazing experience where I wanted to kind of share. So I brought something from Wood Badge as my artifact. That was my artifact. But I remember one of the first people up there was a smoke jumper. I mean, this guy was hardcore. I've been around some hardcore people and this guy was hardcore. And he shared this amazing story, broke down in tears, and just this beautiful beautiful artifact that he shared with us about himself. And he really opened himself up to be vulnerable and set the tone. And he said something there that I'll never forget. He, he apologized for crying. And the, the instructor, Dr. Armstrong, he said, don't apologize for sharing your emotion with us, for sharing a part of yourself with us. You wouldn't have apologized if you laughed with us. So don't apologize for sharing your tears with us. And I really just loved that combination of him being willing to be vulnerable and then the professor reinforcing that it was okay to be vulnerable. And I will tell you that that set a tone and that I think the rest of us shared a lot more than we would have been willing to share had that not happened. And because of that, I had a phenomenal experience and it was one of my favorite learning experiences of my life. That's great. I think especially Gen Z is really good about having respect for other people's boundaries. I think they're more sensitive to creating a safe space. And so I think it's something they're actually really skilled at is a really leadership quality that they value. And I think as they enter the workforce in greater numbers, we're going to see a, a safer space created where people can more freely say, you know, we're kind of seeing that already with the great resignation, right? Like people are saying, yeah, I'm not coming back to work. 
<laughs> I'm not going back to the office. Yeah, it's just not really my vibe, you know, where like our Gen X would have never felt comfortable, right? We're like, oh, I don't want to get fired. I'm headed back to work. It's a Monday, you know, like I think they're just, they're okay having boundaries and balance. And I, I think it's something we could all benefit from, like they're trailblazers in some of these areas. So I have a lot of respect for what they bring to the table themselves. Yeah, that's so powerful that we can learn from people different than of us, you know, not just ethnically different, culturally different, religiously different, all these differences that we place on ourselves. And as you were talking earlier, I kind of chuckled in my mind because when my family, when I hear people start to label other people, I have a saying, I say labels are for food. And <laughs> I, I don't like it when we label people. And a lot of the studies show us how devastating labels can be. Like look at all the people that think they're bad at math that do math on a regular basis and they don't even realize it, you know, because we've created these labels that people buy into too much. And so I'm really not a big fan of labels and I just love when we look past those things and look at how you can learn from Gen Z and their ability to create that safe space. And I think generationally, we are different, right? So how do we embrace those differences in a way that strengthens our organization as opposed to pointing them out in a negative way? I think one way is to not look at someone who has different, who has different ideas or different perspective or different life experiences and to immediately try to push our own experiences and our viewpoint upon them. I mean, it, it, we all struggle with that. I think we all are in a different place in the spectrum as to how naturally that is for us. I think some of us are more inclined to, to be inclusive than others. Some of us struggle a bit more depending on where we're at in life. But I think generationally, it just makes it, it's just an easy way from a, from a sociological standpoint to just kind of explain the differences in people, that we grow up differently, that we have different life experiences, that the world around us is different than it was, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And because of that, we see things differently. And because of that, we view leadership differently. And when I'm teaching in my classes, one of the things I emphasize is the fact that a an effective uh, leader, especially a servant leader, is someone who really is trying to pull the best out of all the followers, really trying to find what can I use in my team members? How can I really leverage the strengths of my team members to, to have the team be stronger, to have every member of the team be stronger? What can I do to do that? And collectively, what can we accomplish? One thing about Gen Z I, I really appreciate, which is different than my life experience growing up, is the general focus among many Gen Z to, to make a difference in the world, to be focused on social change and social justice. That's not to say that myself and Gen X and others like me don't care about making the world a better place. It just wasn't something that was so naturally ingrained in growing up as to say that my place in the world should be defined by my contribution to others, that I am here to make a difference in the lives of others. It just wasn't something I thought about as consciously or as often as I see my students talk about, and I really respect that in them. Yeah, and I also notice a lot of non-acceptance of this is the way things are done. There's something that I really hate to hear in an answer of why we're doing something, and that's, well, this is the way we've always done it. Now, that's not to say the way that we've always done it is bad, because sometimes the way that we've done it, we've learned for a reason. But if that's the only reason you got for why you're doing it, I don't think that's going to hold up against the sniff test of what the best path forward is. And I really love about this rising generation 
that they're just not willing to accept the status quo. In conjunction with that wanting to make a difference, they really want to realize, is this the best way to make a difference? Not just, am I making a difference, but is this the best way? When you combine those two things together, and if we learn to harness that as opposed to stifling it, which I think too often our generation and older generations, we tend to stifle that energy. And if we could harness it and learn from it, we could make a, a world of difference in our organizations, in our families, in our communities, and all throughout. I think they, they're very altruistic and there's a lot of research that shows they make decisions based on what's better for everyone else than what's best for themselves. And I think it's really interesting that they are the rising generation at a time in our society, which feels very, again, polarized and, and selfish. And I think it's not by accident that that's part of their core value system and part of who they are as servant leaders, right, is all about what's best for the greater good instead of what's best for me. And I think you're right. I think sometimes, you know, different generations don't value that in them. They maybe fear it because it's not very self-preserving, right? And so it doesn't seem like that's a good game plan for you personally moving forward. Like, how are you going to survive with that attitude, right? But but I think they see it so differently and that, you know, they see how we're all interconnected and they've grown up in a world where that's all they've seen is the interconnectedness, right? With the internet and social media, and they don't see the boundaries that we grew up with. You know, if you wanted to learn something, you had to go to the library and check out a book. It's so different than today's generation. That seems so archaic. And it wasn't that many years ago. They view the world as a smaller space with greater possibility and, and quite idealistic, which I think is refreshing because so many other things are, are anything but that right now. And so I think they're the perfect generation to lead us out of kind of the space that we're all finding ourselves in. Oh, I, I agree. And I apologize if you can hear that siren in the background. That's the one of the perks of living in downtown Mexico City is that you get to hear some sirens every once in a while. And this, this microphone will definitely pick it up. But I think it was Elder Gong. His dad had told him the, the sirens are the cries of the city. And so, you know, the more that we, we harness these abilities and we truly use that altruism to motivate ourselves, we can lessen those cries in many ways throughout our own cities. And uh, I wanted to share this quote uh, from an article I'd shared previously, and I'll share it again in the show notes by Sin Senjaya, Nathan Eva, Ivan Butar Butar, Mulyadi Robin, and Samantha Castles. And they say, servant leaders provide a well-rounded acumen that results in followers being transformed for the sake of their own growth, not the organization. And now I think there's always been this, this debate, and even before servant leadership was really coined by Dr. Greenleaf and, and all the research that's come afterwards and how beneficial it is. But there's always been a discussion about how much do you put in the organization? How much do you care about people? And I think that there's a natural benefit to the organization when you focus on the benefit of the people within the organization. And those things can feed together quite easily. And so as you work to harness this rising generation. And as they go out into these many countries, 75 to 80 that you referenced, how do you equip them to, as it says here, provide a well-rounded acumen that results in the followers being transformed for the sake of their own growth? My personal belief as a teacher, as an educator, is that we learn best when we think differently than we did before we started the course 
or the training session or the conversation. And that's hard to measure. Uh, that's one of the challenges in that particular philosophy that I hold to. But my belief is that if I can have my students thinking differently and questioning things in a healthy way, that they've learned something that will benefit them, that will empower them, that will strengthen them, that will, back to your question, which is how do I help them? That's what I try to do. I do that through discussions, through case studies, through assignments, through projects where they can reflect, they can think, they can question, especially question their assumptions. The more we can question our assumptions, the more we learn about ourselves, the more we can be self-introspective, the more we can see ourselves for who we are. We can also recognize where we fall short. We can be vulnerable, as you mentioned earlier, and that we can open ourselves up for learning. I think the moment that we, we believe that we know everything or that we have all the right answers, we shut ourselves out from what other people have to offer. And so that's what I strive to do. I hope the students feel that when they come into the classroom and have that experience in my courses. I love that thought. I think that's a great way to build a a good environment that's conducive to building servant leaders. I've been really impressed watching some of your social media interaction. And I noticed that you've been kind of successful, if not really successful, at building a community in an international environment throughout this pandemic. And so one of the things I was wondering is how did you create this community with so many limitations in so many countries to bring people together? I think the best way to answer that question is to give a little bit of context, and then we'll add a bit more to it. We are advisors to a student organization on our campus. We call it a student chapter. It's kind of like a club called the BYU Management Society. It's not a BYU Hawaii run thing. It's not something that began at our university. It actually began at the BYU campus in Utah back in the 1970s. The motto of the BYU Management Society is growing moral and ethical leaders around the world. And a few years ago, some years ago, the chapter, a student-run chapter began on our campus. And so students actually are the ones who put on the activities and the events, who actually are the ones in charge of promoting and growing moral and ethical leaders on our campus. It's all run by students, but Ann and I serve as the advisors. We're the ones that kind of keep things going from semester to semester because, as you imagine, there's a lot of turnover when students come and students go and they graduate and so forth. And so we keep it moving. That's one way that we do that. And so you're asking about uh, how it is that we create that sense of community, especially with all the different nations coming together. The, the beauty with the BYU Management Society on our campus is that it pulls in so many students from so many countries, all under one unified mission. And so we love the fact that BYU Management Society's focus is on ethical leaders, on growing moral and ethical leaders around the world. And that opens up a lot of possibility for conversations, for discussions, for speakers, for events, for panels, lots of ways that we can discuss that, analyze that, and talk about that. And in particular, During the pandemic, when uh, our university, like most universities around the world, were not in person, you know, we were entirely online like everyone else was, we had to make a decision. Did we want to continue with the management society? Did we want to shut it down? Um, until we came back face-to-face because we had really not done anything online. It was not an online student-run organization. It was a face-to-face organization. But the decision was made, let's continue it. And we did. And it was a great decision. We had 400-something 
members during that time, students from all over the world were joining their, their students, their active students of our university, but they joined and they participated and they learned and they had a sense of community and they enjoyed each other's conversations and companionship. And then now that we're back face to face again, the last few months, it's been great to be able to take that energy and to move it forward once again, and to again, feel the power of bringing all these nations, all these ideas, all these cultures, all these perspectives together, again, moving toward one common mission. I think it's really great that you continue to find a way to get people together and to keep that thread going. And one of the themes that has been kind of arising throughout a couple of these episodes of the podcast is that because the pandemic isn't over, we're hitting a point of stress and fatigue from a long-term trauma event. And we can get into a lot of debates about COVID and those are really not helpful in a lot of regards, but the reality stands is that there's going to be long-term stress, fatigue, and trauma from an event like this. Whether you were personally impacted from a death, whether you were personally impacted by COVID yourself, uh, whether you lost a job, whether you had to worry about paying your mortgage, all these different things, or if you were just someone you knew, or if you didn't have any impacts personally, but you had to live in society that was impacted by it. And I think no matter who you are, there's some sort of fatigue occurring over time. And so how do we learn from the people around us what they're capable of in a way that we can push them to their limit, but also by being mindful of all these influences COVID being one, but there's many other life events that cause stress, fatigue, trauma. So how do we build the best versions of people in their own eyes while also pushing them a little bit, but not so far that they break down into panic? That's a great question, Keith. (laughs) I've spent probably every day in the last, you know, since March, 2020, trying to figure out the answer to that because you could see the stress and the trauma pretty much immediately set in for our students. Most of our students, if not all of them, really had to leave campus immediately with almost no notice. And some of them didn't have great places to go. Their countries were closed. And anyways, just you can see the ripple effect that it's had for sure on a younger generation. And and I'm mindful of the fact that a lot of our students fall into an age group where they've really encountered one really hard thing, societal change one after another, you know, starting with 9-11. I was an adult when that happened, right? I was a young mom. My brain was fully developed. You know, I could, I could take that all in and as hard as it was to try to comprehend and as traumatic as it was, I was an adult when it happened. And, And these are, our students are you know, Gen Z, they were either not yet born or born into that or were very young, you know, and then you're talking about economic crises after that. And you just look at kind of the history of the last few years, it's, it's not been easy. Um, and they've dealt with a lot of instability. And you can see where that's created a lot of the anxiety and depression that faces this generation. A lot of people will say, oh, well, they're just not resilient. Um, and they're weak. And they, again, back to labels, right? And I actually, I don't see it that way. I just think they have a different set of coping strategies than the rest of us, which is completely fair since they've had to experience all these really difficult things in a really a short amount of time while they're still, you know, developing. And I'm not a complainer type personality. I'm a very solution oriented person. So it's like, okay, how do we help them? How do we solve this? Because 
the students that left us, right, that packed up and went home, whatever home meant for that period of time, when they came back to us this last fall, they are not the same humans that left us. They, they are traumatized humans. They really are. And it's heartbreaking to see that somebody who, who left us and came back to us 18, 20 months later is, is having a really hard time struggling. And so I think some of it is just, again, when you look at the different generations and we were judging going, why can't they just, you know, suck this up or whatever, like you're saying, right. And people want to push them, but I think sometimes we need to come in a different door and say, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to say that right? Even sometimes people struggle with us even saying that to them, like, oh no, that's going to encourage them to fall deeper into a hole. Like you guys, they're already in a hole. (laughs) As somebody who works with Gen Z every single day, I'm like, SOS, red flag, like what's going on here is not good. They need love and support more than ever. And so one of the anecdotes that that I've been pondering and, and I feel strongly is is maybe part of an answer is that when we're building, you know, back to this word build, when we're building something, whether it's a business or a creative idea or a house or a cake or whatever, we're making something from scratch. We're putting our own thought and ideas into it and we're making or creating something else. It's when we can feel a sense of purpose and direction and hope for the future, right? Because you don't build anything with the intention of it not being there tomorrow. So if you're struggling with understanding what the future looks like, if you can build something into your future. It gives you hope. It gives you purpose. And that's what they need more than anything is what I can see, at least from my perspective. That's where they struggle the most with seeing themselves into the future and seeing something good happening in that space instead of, okay, what's the next really bad thing that's going to happen? Because every time we go through these other bad things, it seems like the next thing ahead is just worse than the last thing. So if that's all you've ever grown up seeing and you're not even a fully developed adult yet, that could be pretty depressing. That could create some anxiety. I think it's pretty valid that it's okay to not be okay. And that's a beautiful thought. I, I love it. And culminating a bunch of the things we've talked about with this generation is that because they look to be inclusive, there's always an opportunity to remind them how good they are at building bridges. And what this world needs that you alluded to earlier are bridge builders. We need people to build bridges more than ever um, between cultures, between people, between countries bridges of understanding and cooperation and collaboration. And especially those of us that aspire to be servant leaders, we need to be bridge builders. And that's my challenge for this week, for this episode is think about how you can be a bridge builder. And if you lack an understanding of generational gaps, one way that you could be a bridge builder is to learn the differences between generations and what that might mean. And then think about how we can bridge those gaps or to learn about different cultures or races and think about how you can bridge some gaps. Go from that state that Trevor talked about of being unaware to being more aware. So eventually you can become an advocate of another. And that's where I want to take this discussion as we wrap up and take this thought as long as it goes is what are both of your thoughts on how we can be better bridge builders and how we can, as servant leaders, build bridge makers. First thing that occurs to me as to how we can be better bridge builders is to identify what the gap is, is to understand what bridge needs to be built. Where do we stand? What do we believe? 
What do we hold to be true? What are our values? And then where is there a gap between those who we lead? As we're trying to influence our followers, they may have different perspectives. We may need to, to build that bridge between us and them so that they feel included, that they feel valued, that they feel like their perspective is heard, is important. And so I think the first thing that occurs to me is that really looking honestly, often looking often, what are the gaps? What bridges need to be built? Where do I stand? Who am I? And who am I trying to lead? And what do my followers believe? And where is there a gap? I think I just add to what he's saying by calling that out as bias. None of us are bias free. We all come, like you said, at the very beginning of of our conversation with all these different backgrounds and perspectives, which also create a lens for which we see life and we see situations, you know, it could be a generational difference. It could be a cultural difference. It could be a gender difference. And so when we can identify our own bias and see how it changes our lens and also see how it colors others' lenses, then we can start to break down some of the barriers and build the bridges. Even if others aren't willing to do that, you can do that and give people that space they need to make that change. And I think this generation, again, they're pretty self-aware in a way that maybe we haven't been in the past. And I think they're really good bridge builders. Like you said, I think that might be part of their purpose and their mission into the, into the future is that they maybe can help kind of bridge some of these divides that we're seeing in society right now. And some of the things that create the anxiety and unhappiness for them, building a better future by building those bridges. Yeah, I love those thoughts. Just love them. And as Scott was talking, I was thinking to myself, I didn't anticipate going to figuring out what the gap was, but what a great place to start. And I started as you were talking, thinking about all the different bridges that I've seen throughout my life and how different they look because they are created for a space. They're created for a certain gap. And it made me think even more that not only understanding the gaps important, but understanding the materials we're going to use is very, very important. And understanding the materials in this context might look like understanding the people more fully, understanding what they bring to the table, what their lenses are, all those different things that influence how we both lengthen that space and widen the gap and how we close it through building a bridge. And just love those thoughts. Well, any parting thoughts before we wrap up today. Keith, you're awesome. I love that you're doing this. Just grateful that you had us on. I think servant leadership is a very popular model of leadership or theory of leadership for a good reason, because it's one that really focuses on the strengths of others. It's easy to conceptualize. It's easy to to imagine what we want to be as servant leaders. As we study a lot of the different leadership ideas and philosophies, and there's there's at least 60, if not 70, uh, formal published theories of leadership, one of the most popular is servant leadership. And I think it really is a great one. It's one that has, uh, it continues to be well-researched and have a lot of focus on our society. And I think it's more relevant now than ever. I just love that. And I will give a peek behind the curtain, everyone. I asked Scott and Anne to be on because I knew that they had a great experience working with many people from many cultural backgrounds, and especially because they work with the rising generation and they're so focused on building leaders that then go out and build future leaders in many, many different cultures. And what I really wanted to show here is that this model of servant leadership can be applied all throughout the world all throughout organizations, all throughout our families, all throughout our communities to lead by serving and to lead by serving the one, the individuals 
because that's who matters in our organizations. That's who matters in our communities. That's who matters in our families. And so as we build, as Scott Ann so eloquently talked about and modeled that wonderful word that the BYU Hawaii speaks of, maybe we can take that into our future and build as well. Well, thanks again, everyone, for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. We hope that you'll continue to listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. That's how everybody finds out about this podcast. Not for my sake, but for the sake of all those developing leaders that we can build into the future and that we can bridge these gaps. So thanks again for joining us on That All Might Be Edified, discussions on servant leadership. Have a wonderful day.